0: Well, hey, welcome to Central Online. So glad that you have, have tuned in. And, and man, as a church, we are one week into our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And, and here's why I'm so excited about that. Because I know if, if 2022 is your best year spiritually, it will be your best year. When you and I when were thriving spiritually, everything else in life just comes into alignment. So I'm, I'm super pumped to kick off these 21 days of prayer and fasting. And, and fasting's actually become uh, very prominent in, uh, in secular culture. Like a lot of athletes are, are fasting regularly, doing intermittent fasting. A lot of celebrities are doing it because it changes the way you look. Like it's there's a tremendous health benefit from it. Uh, but what I know for us as central Christian church is we are praying and fasting fasting, it will not only change the way that we look, it will change the way we we see. It'll change the way we see the world around us. And I'm so thankful for that because uh, we could all use a change of perspective, just a recalibration as we begin this new year. And so, so if you are journeying with us through these 21 days of prayer and fasting and you're, you're one week in, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, what, what's God saying to you? How's he showing up in your life? Maybe he's already answered some of your prayers that you went into this fast, really seeking direction on. And, and we just love to hear from you. So you could text us or email us at info@centralsj.org sj.org or, or text us uh, as always at 408-944-5402. Hey, if you haven't jumped into the fast or maybe you did and you're like, it didn't go too well, uh, no guilt in that, no shame in that. We just invite you just to jump back in. And uh, if you haven't jumped in yet, you can, you can do so now. Uh, we got 14 days left and I believe that God will show up in your life if you jump in in that time frame. And I've heard from some people, uh, you know, for dietary reasons, they can't do a food fast. And, and while The biblical example, like all fasts throughout the Bible, are some kind of a a food fast. Uh, But but the purpose of a fast, the goal of it, is we would disconnect. Uh, from worldly things and connect more to God. That's that's our heart in all of this. So at the end of the day, how can we disconnect from some things that tie us down and and, and find freedom in His presence as we seek seek God? So for for some of you, maybe that would be a, a soul fast. We have different types of fast. Actually, on our website, one of them is is called a soul fast. Uh, that could be like fasting uh, social media. That would be a great a great fast. Maybe fasting uh, video games. We heard from uh, one of our students in the in the central family. He's He's fasting video games, which how many of you know for a teenager, that is that is legit fast. Like he is going all in there and we're excited to see how God shows up in his life. But another uh, soul fast would be like fasting news. Uh, for some of you, maybe the most spiritual thing you could do over these next 14 days would be to fast the news. And here's what I can promise you. At the end of 14 days, everything will still be on fire in the world around us. Like there will still be trouble and chaos and you can get caught up on that at that time. But there's something about, about setting aside some things like the news when you would normally be watching the news, just say, no, I'm gonna see God. I'm, I'm, gonna read, I'm gonna read the word, I'm gonna pray, and I'm just gonna believe that God is gonna speak to me in those times. You watch how God shows up if you do uh, join us in that. So I'm excited for this. Uh, again, if 2022 is gonna be your best year spiritually, it will be your best year ever. And I'm excited to see how not only God uh, changes the way we look as we fast, but changes the way we see the world around us. So uh, that's the sermon for today. You're free to go. God bless you guys. No, not, not really. Uh, we're just getting started. I just, this is my soapbox. Now here comes the sermon. Uh, today we're kicking off uh, back into a new series. We're calling it Citizens, picking back up our study through the book of Philippians. And today we are closing out chapter one of the book of, of Philippians. And, and if you're, you're new, just jumping in with us, here's kind of a recap of where we've been so far in our series. Uh, we've discovered in this book of Philippians as, he's, as this guy named the Apostle Paul, he's writing this from prison. He's been in prison for four years. He's been unjustly accused. He is the right of every Roman citizen to have their case heard before the emperor in Rome. And so Paul has appealed to Caesar. So he's on house arrest there, waiting to have his trial heard. He has been shipwrecked at sea. He has nearly died. He's been beaten. He, he's, things are not going well for Paul. Right now, as, as Paul is writing this, he is chained to a Roman guard. Uh, they have these, these chains it's called a hallucis on one end would be a roman soldier from the praetorium guard on the other end would be the apostle paul as he's writing this letter to the church of philippi 24 7 he is chained chained as he's writing chained as he's going to the bathroom chained as he's taking a bath chained as he's trying to sleep chained as he's fasting he is chained in every situation and everything that he he does paul is in chains And as a result of being in chains, not only is that humiliating for Paul, but the results are also predictable in that Roman soldiers that are chained to Paul, one after another, are finding and following Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. But Paul is in an extreme trial. He's in circumstances in life that are miles away from ideal, hundreds of miles away from what he envisioned for his life. I mean, this is the apostle Paul. He's been planting churches. he has been serving God. He's seeing the miraculous happen, and now he is in chains. And he's writing the letter to check on this church that he planted in Philippi. And what we learn about, about Paul is that he continues to live on mission regardless of what life throws at him. He continues to help people find and follow Jesus, and that brings him joy. This is really a book about, about joy. In four short chapters, over 19 times, Paul would use the word joy or rejoice he would say this in chapter one he says I always pray with with joy whenever he's praying for the church in Philippi he says and because of this I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice and Philippians 4 4 says rejoice in the Lord always again I will say it rejoice and really rejoice is just the action form of the word joy joy uh, joy, rejoicing is joy in action a matter of fact if you don't have joy one of the best things you and i can do is is rejoice because sometimes like we just don't feel like it right uh, maybe you do but sometimes i don't and i i, I want to spend time with god i, I want to be a man of prayer sometimes i just go into god's presence and say god you know what i'm i don't really want to be here if i'm honest but god i know you're worthy God, I know you've been faithful. I know you've rescued me. God, you've extended to me radical grace. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for a a fresh start today. I thank you that your mercy is new every morning. God, I thank you that, that you have plans for me, plans to prosper me, not to harm me. God, I thank you that you're so faithful, even when I'm unfaithful. I just begin to rejoice. And as I do... Joy begins to settle in my heart. And so Paul 19 times says, hey, joy can be yours. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not only does Paul teach us about joy and rejoicing, he's a model for it as he's waiting trial. And ultimately this trial could lead to his, his execution. But here's what we know about, about Paul, that there, there, there's a joy that's so, so great. There's a joy that, that can be a part of your life. Matter of fact, Paul would hope that you would have joy in your life to the degree that there are no circumstances that could extinguish your joy. That you would realize, man, God, you saved me. You rescued me. And if you do nothing else for me, that's gonna bring me so much joy that the troubles and trials of life will never be able to extinguish my joy. So, Paul, he, he's taught us that to this point, and now he's he's gonna continue teaching us how to live a life of joy in the midst of suffering in the midst of trials. And so one of the keys to living a life of joy in the midst of suffering is to remember that we are citizens of, of heaven. Remember that we are citizens of heaven. Up until this point, Paul has been updating the church on how he's doing, letting them know about his circumstances, about his situation. But in, in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul turns the direction of this letter and begins to address the church. And so uh, we're going to read this together. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. That's where we'll be studying today. That's where we pick up our study. Here it is. Paul would write this. He says this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit And one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Do not be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and now you know that I am still in the midst of it. So God, we just pray that you would speak to us through your word today as we look to this letter again of the Apostle Paul about how we can live as citizens of heaven. So check it out. You are a citizen of heaven. And Paul Paul knows a couple things that he wants the church of Philippi to understand. Uh, Paul knows some things that, that he desires for you and I to grasp and to understand. And that is this, that one, joy is available in the midst of any season, regardless of your circumstances. In the midst of any trials, in the midst of extreme suffering, you can continue to experience joy, uh, but the second thing he wants them to know is that, that not only can they experience joy, but the way they're going to experience joy. In order for you and I not just to know about joy, but for us to attain joy, for us to take hold of the joy that God has for us, Paul knows this and he wants the church to know it, that it's going to come from the way that they view themselves. If you're going to take hold of joy, if you're going to live a life of joy, it's going to largely be in part by the way you view yourself, your circumstances, And the way God sees you right now here on earth. And so in this this short passage that we just read, Paul is going to give us three characteristics of how we can live as citizens of heaven on earth. Three characteristics of how we can move through life here on earth in light of our citizenship in heaven. Here's the first point. It's the concern of a citizen of heaven what is the concern of a citizen of heaven? Like, what's primarily on the mind of somebody that is a citizen of heaven? Uh, Paul writes this. He says, he says in verse 27, above all. The NIV puts it this way. Whatever happens. You think about that. Like, you think about this year ahead. In 2022, whatever happens. This is primary. Whatever happens, above all, above everything else you could do, above everything else you could think about, don't miss this one. This is the most important thing. This is what concerns a citizen of heaven. And we just need to know, sometimes we think in, in like Bible times it's different than our times, but, but there are some very trying things happening in the life of Paul right now. Yeah, I mean, he is, he's literally a prisoner, been in prison for four years for doing absolutely nothing wrong. I mean, there are some things that would be very concerning to Paul. I I mean, we think about our life, our current reality. I mean, this is virus past 24 months. Like, there's some very concerning things that have gone on. There are some very concerning things in our life right now, in our world right now. But Paul doesn't underscore any of those things in his time, and he invites us not to underscore any of those things in our time, not because they don't matter, but because there's a perspective that supersedes all of those things. And Paul would write to the church, he says, above, above all, you must have this perspective and live as citizens of heaven. Live in a manner, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Paul says this is primary. If you're going to experience the joy that God has for you in the midst of suffering, in the midst of life's ups and downs, you got to see yourself as a citizen of heaven on earth. Paul would write this in Philippians 3.20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven he's not saying that your citizenship here on earth doesn't matter I do not think that's what he's saying I do not think he's saying that you could disregard your civic duty I don't think he's saying that at all but what I do believe he is saying is that above all the most important thing no matter what happens no matter what suffering may come your way no no matter what you must see yourself first and foremost as a citizen of heaven. We must view our life and situations around us through this through this grid that I'm a child of God, that I've been bought with a price. This world's not my home. Like I'm just I'm just passing through, but my citizenship it's it's not here. It's it's in heaven. It's the it's the grid through which I view life. It's the grid through which I filter situations and circumstances. Paul would write this again in chapter 127 above all you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, Paul is not saying here that, that in order to live a life worthy of Christ is not like a way to earn your salvation. Uh, Paul would say this, he says, you know, you're, you are this, you are a citizen, you've already received this salvation, you've already been rescued, like you're already a son and daughter of the king, like you've already, you've already been bought with a price, you are a citizen of heaven, therefore live like a citizen of heaven. Live a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of the good news about Christ. Paul, Paul would write like this in, in most of his letters, he says, because you are this way, live this way. Here, here's what's true for believers. Here's what's true for citizens of heaven, of followers of Jesus, that that whenever you put your faith in Christ, whenever you come to God and you say, you know what, God, I'm giving you my life. I'm gonna turn from, from my sin. I'm gonna turn from my doing life on my own terms. And God, I'm gonna come under the authority of your word. And, and I'm gonna I'm live this out the best of my ability, God. God, I'm coming under the authority of your word. And even I don't understand it, God, I'm gonna do it because you're the Lord. Like you're the boss. You're the CEO of my life. I give you my life, and I believe that Jesus not only died on the cross, but He rose again and paid penalty in that moment for my sin. In that moment, you experience salvation. In that moment, you become a a citizen. You are made right with God. You're holy in his sight. You are are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so one thing that Paul writes throughout his letters, and we see throughout the New Testament, is this, this kind of formula, like because you are holy, now live holy. Because you are righteous, live righteous. Now Paul says, because you're a citizen of heaven, live up to the calling, live up to the reality which you've already received. Live in a manner worthy of the good news About Christ. He's saying, Let your citizenship in heaven be the grid through which you live and show a watching world just how valuable Christ is. Let your life reflect the reality that Christ is supremely worthy. Let your life reflect the reality that Christ is awesome, that Christ is glorious, that He is the one that matters most in your life. The bedrock foundation. From the perspective of a citizen of heaven is that when they heard the gospel, they got Jesus. And when they got Jesus, they got what is most precious. They got which, what that which is best. They got the ultimate gift that anybody could ever receive. And Paul's saying, if you're going to know who Jesus is, if you're gonna if you're gonna live as a citizen of heaven, if you're gonna endure suffering with joy, you gotta know the gift you've already got. You got Jesus. And so nothing else in this world really really matters compared to that. Remember that you have what you have, because when you have Jesus, you have it all. And that's at the forefront of the thanking of a citizen of heaven. They remember who Jesus is. Hebrews 1:3 tells us a little bit about just how awesome He is. He says this about Jesus: it says, the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses his very own, the very own character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Another translation puts this as, says he sustains the universe by the power of his word. Like at his word, our universe holds its shape. Our universe, it it stays together. doesn't come pulling apart at the seams by the power of his command. says when he, cleansed us from our sins and sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of God in the majesty of God in heaven. He sat down at the right hand. Why? Because salvation was complete. Because a rescue mission was complete. Because he provided a pathway for you to know God. He provided a pathway for you to to find freedom, to show your purpose and go change the world. Jesus provided all that. He was the perfect sacrifice. He radiates God's very own glory. Ultimately, Jesus radiates what it means to be a citizen citizen of heaven. And when you got him, you got the best. Revelation 5, it, it's this vision from a guy named John, and he, he gets a glimpse into heaven. And, and right now, here's what's taking place in heaven. Right now, we, we live here on earth with these, these bodies that are tainted by sin, so we don't really see God fully as he is. We don't really really understand things super clearly, but one day we will. And this will be a response. It says this, um, so it says, "'Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and all the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, "'Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings.'" And then I heard every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang this song, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever and ever. And I'm just saying, when you got Jesus, you got that. You got the one who is ultimately worthy. You got the one who ultimately has all the authority. You got the one who's in charge of the entire universe. What a gift. And Paul says, if you're going to live as a citizen of heaven, it's vital that you know the gift that you already have. It's vital that we know how tremendous Christ is and allow who he is and and our, our adoption as sons and daughters of God to filter, to be the grid through which we view our life and the way we conduct our life. That our life would be lived in a manner worthy of what we've already received. So a watching world will take note. That's the primary concern of a citizen of heaven. They understand the immense gift and they're living life in light of receiving that gift. The second thing is is the courage of a citizen of heaven. Listen, whenever you start to live life under the authority of God's word, when you say, man, I'm going to conduct my life as a citizen of heaven. It will, without a doubt, invoke opposition. Without a doubt, it will invoke challenge. And so living this life as a follower of Jesus, as a citizen of heaven, it demands courage. And Paul writes to the church about that. He says this in Philippians 1.27. He says, it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear this about you. He's like, hey, if I'm still in prison, I don't get to come see you face to face. Let this be the report I get. Let this be true of Central Christian Church. Let this be true of the church of Philippi. Let this be true of what the world says about you that you are standing firm, united with one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in any, by anything, by your opponents. He says this, "Let, let me, let me hear this about you. Let this be true about you. You know, Challenging times are without a doubt, like Paul experienced in his day, we're experiencing it now in our day. And, and Paul would write this to, to Timothy, to another guy that he's he's discipling about what will take place in the end times. Like as, as the world grows older, here's what's going to be on the uptick. Here's what's going to be on the rise. He says this, as, as things grow, as things get older, here, here's what's going to happen. For people will love only themselves and their money. How true is that of our culture today? People love only themselves, and they only love their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing as sacred. And because of wickedness being on the rise, because of uh, hostility towards the truth being on the rise, Whenever we see culture uh, going away contrary to the word of God as citizens of heaven, when you say, no, no, this, this is the grid through which I view my life. This is the grid through which I, I, I formulate my values. This is the grid through which I conduct my budget. This is the grid through which I, I conduct my calendar. This is the grid through which I, I operate as a citizen of heaven. no doubt there will be opposition to this. Back to Philippians chapter 1. Says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing in one spirit. This is kind of a defensive term. Uh we could you know, there's defense and offense right here in this passage. And so if you're watching football, we got both of them. We got defense and offense. And the first is is standing firm. This is a defensive position. This is literally a, a term of of like soldiers locking arms, soldiers holding the line saying, "I'm not going to budge. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand firm. I'm digging in. I'm holding my post even at extreme sacrifice. Even if it costs me my life, I'm not letting the enemy take ground on my watch." they're standing firm. That's what Paul says. Hey, if citizens of heaven, you will face opposition as you live life under the authority of word of God. You're going to have to stand your ground and not be swayed by the tides that roll in and roll out from culture. You're going to be steadfast. You're going to build your life on a firm foundation. That is the word of God. You got to stand firm. You got to do it together in one spirit. Paul says we got to do it with, with one spirit. Standing firm It's not uh, uncommon language for Paul. He would write this in 1 Corinthians 16. He says this, uh, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. He would write this to the Thessalonians. He would say this, he said, it gives me new life. He's like, hey, you want to know what helps me? You want to know what, what, what brings me fresh air? You want to know what, what gives your spiritual leaders like, like a shot in the arm? You want to know what gives me life, he says? That you are standing firm in the Lord. He would write this again to the Philippians, stand firm. Hold ground, be of one spirit, and with one mind, striving side by side. This is where we get to the offense. Uh, this word, striving side by side, this word, word striving in the, the Greek, the original language, it's sin athleho. It's where we get our, our, our English word athlete from. It's this, this idea of, of engaging in competition, this idea of engaging in conflict. And so, so here in this text is God's design and God's desire. That you would stand firm and then take ground. Stand firm, take ground. We stand firm and then we strive side by side for what? To advance the gospel, for the, the faith of the gospel, that we wouldn't be frightened in any way by those who oppose us. Stand firm, take ground. Here's the third point that requires courage to do that. This requires confidence. We can have confidence in the midst of this. Uh, point number three, the confidence of a citizen of heaven. Uh, again, Paul would uh, write this in uh, Philippians one twenty-eight. He says, this is a clear sign to them, that, a clear sign of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from from God. He says this, hey, hey, as you enter into this conflict, as you enter into this reality, you can one have joy, but know there will be opposition. And when you face opposition, you need to have this confidence. Uh, a couple things here. He says one of your salvation and to know that the worst thing that could happen to you is that they take your life. And if they take your life, that's actually good for you because then you get to go be with Jesus and no more pain, no more suffering, no more, no more sin, no more, no more uh, wars and conflicts. It's, it's it'd be awesome. That's the worst thing that could happen. But beyond that, he says, says all this is, is from God, reminding us that the, there's nothing you'll encounter in life that hasn't first been sifted through the hands of your Heavenly Father. There's nothing that lands in your lap without his awareness. The psalmist says this, and I love this psalm. This is one of my favorites. He says, says the Lord directs the steps of the godly. Look at this. He delights in every detail of their lives listen maybe you're facing a hard time you just need to let God's directing your steps he's directed you to it he'll direct you through it and he delights in every detail of your life back to Philippians it says this says this is a clear sign what's a clear sign the fact that you're filtering life as a citizen of heaven that's a clear sign the fact that you're standing firm under the authority of the Word of God, that's a sign. The fact that you're striving side by side to take standing firm, taking new ground with fellow believers, locking arms as a church to help advance this mission of helping people find and follow Jesus, that's a sign. You walking in unity, it's a sign. You not being afraid of opposition, it's a sign. And as I was studying this, I just began to think about you and and have this image of like billboards all across the bay. Billboards in Campbell and billboards in Willow Glen and Morgan Hill and billboards in in Cambrian, billboards at Apple and billboards at, at Facebook, billboards at eBay, billboards in cubicles, billboards in the office, billboards in schools, billboards everywhere. It's a sign pointing people To this God who's radically in love with him. As we conduct our life as citizens of heaven. You're a sign. Your life, the way you live, is a sign to a watching world. Is this true? Paul says as you live as a citizen of heaven, it's going to be a sign. sign that there's destruction, but there's also salvation. Both those are from God. He says this, for it has been granted. It's been granted. The root word of this is grace. The idea is that this is a a gift, a grace gift. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but that you should suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now you hear I'm still in. He's saying, hey, it's a gift. As a citizen of heaven, you come under the authority of the word of God. There's joy unspeakable, but there's also trials. But in the midst of those trials, you stand firm, you take ground, and maybe it might be granted to you to suffer. But when you suffer, you know where your citizenship lies. You know you're a citizen of heaven above all, and everything else is secondary. Paul says, I'm standing with you, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now you hear I still have. What does he mean by that? Well, whenever Paul planted the church in Philippi, Paul actually brought the gospel to Europe, and he started this church in in Philippi. And you might remember that that when he was in Philippi, there was this girl that was following Paul and Silas, and they were, and she was saying, "These are messengers of like the Most High God." And she was a fortune teller, and these owners of this slave girl got rich off her telling fortunes. Well, Paul wasn't super excited about, it, so he turned, rebuked the demon, like cast the demon out of her. And the owners weren't happy. And so they had Paul and Silas arrested, thrown in jail. And what happens at at midnight? The unthinkable happens. These two beaten, bloodied missionaries are sitting there in shackles. And they begin to worship. They begin to praise God. They begin to to magnify him, to talk about his goodness, to talk about his faithfulness, to talk about how, how awesome he is. Why were they doing that? Because it had been granted. Their perspective of life was like, my comfort right here, right now is not primary. It's not about money. It's not about position. It's not about prestige. My filter for life, the grid through which I view my life is I'm a citizen of heaven. Everything else is secondary. And as these beaten and bloodied missionaries lift their voice... Earth shakes. God does the miraculous, sets them free. The jailer gets saved. It's awesome. But that's what Paul's referring to. He, he said, I'm in the same conflict. Do you remember that? You, you, I'm in the same conflict you saw I had. And I just want you to know, I'm still in the trenches with you. I'm still lockstep. I'm still standing firm. I'm still taking new ground. That's the perspective of a citizen of heaven. Listen, this is uh, uh, not super flowery content to know that you will suffer. Listen, my invitation to you is to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live a life as a citizen of heaven. Come under the authority of God's word. Allow this to be the plumb line for life, for faith, for practice, the grid through which you view your life. And if you do, there will be opposition to that. But you also need to know this is where the abundant life is. This is where the good life is. I used to think if I came under the authority of God's word, then I'd I'd be such a buzzkill and I wouldn't have any fun ever again in my life. Farthest thing from the truth. This is where life is found. But you will face opposition if you come under it. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this. Yes, everyone who wants to live as a citizen of heaven, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will not a matter of if, you will suffer persecution. Jesus said this, in this world, you will, not maybe, you will have trouble, but you can take heart, church, because Jesus has overcome the world. And when you got Jesus, you got that which is most precious. Let's live as citizens of heaven. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your grace, Thanks, God, for the gift of faith in you, the gift of being able to know you and the gift of knowing that we are citizens of heaven. So God, I pray for your church today that you would empower them to live their life worthy of the good news, to live life in such a way that it points a watching world to your goodness, that they would see your goodness through the way we live our life. God, help us to be those people and conduct ourselves as citizens of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if uh, if you're watching this and uh, maybe you haven't committed your life to Jesus yet, man, it'd be my joy to help you take that next step. Uh, the good news is that, that citizenship in heaven is not limited to a select few. God's desire is for you to know him. Matter of fact, here at Central, we say uh, our hope for you, and we believe God's hope for you is that you would know God, that you would grow in freedom, that you'd show your purpose, and you'd live a life that go, that, that changes the world. That's what God has for you, a life of transcendence, a life of impact, a life of intimacy with him. That all begins by surrendering your life to Jesus, by saying, Jesus, you're the CEO of not only the world, but I'm going to make you the CEO of my life. Like, if you say it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to come under the authority of who you are, and to the best of my ability, I'm going to follow you all my life. It begins by believing that Jesus died on the cross, and on that cross, he paid the penalty for your sins. And not only did it end there, but, but it just began there. He would rose again, and he offers new life to you today. He can come alive in you today. So if that's where you are, you want to begin that journey, it'd be my joy to, to help you kick off that journey with Jesus by praying like this. You just talk to God. Between you and God, say this. Say, God, I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you didn't just end there, but you rose again. And God, today I give you my life. Today I want to become a citizen of heaven. And I know that means there's trouble and challenge with that. But God, you're the ultimate gift. And if it's trouble that I get, or it's you, I choose you, come what may. So God, I give my life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, if you want to begin that, that journey with Jesus, you just want to, want to become a citizen of heaven, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can text us at 408-944-5402. That's 408-944-5402. Or you can email us as always at info@centralsj.org God bless you guys.